when great events in history occur, do witnesses realize the importance? Looking back on my time now, I realize I was one of the lucky ones, privileged to tell the stories of those times. I'm Orville Mulligan, sports writer. Previously on Orville Mulligan, sports writer. So here's the lowdown. Ernie Dougal is trying to set it up. You remember him? Everybody calls him Dugs. Dugs, Dugs, call me Dugs. Yes, the UPI wire guy. Oh, now you're sure you want to lose your friend's money, Maxie? Oh, I know this man, Dukes. That's what you like to call yourself these days, isn't it? Or perhaps some new alias. Why, Mr. President? Do not attempt any of your trickery or illegal shenanigans with me, sir. The longer you are in the presence of decent people, the less secure those people may feel about the whereabouts of their possessions, as well as that of their moral decency. You see, this is the kind of disrespect for the honest working man is why I voted for Teddy back in 12. Every time for the past three years when I'm in Chicago with this guy, he tells me about how great Reagan's club is. And every time we ask him to get us in there, he says, we'll see, boys, we'll see. Then he gives me some cloak and dagger routine ditches us and goes and gets thoroughly smoked all by himself. Listen, I've got a reputation to consider, fellows. I can't have you getting uncontrollably soused and chasing tail in what is otherwise a reputable establishment. Doogie, what in blue blazes are you doing bringing these apes out here? Uh, apologies, Coach Zubke. I did not mean to cause trouble. Merely to connect my associates here with a member of the assembled media. Oh, what do you know? Max Mackey and Huey Wozniak. I'm surprised they let the likes of you two into this part of the country. Orville. Hey, what's up, pal? Oh, tell me you guys are drinking actual ginger ale. Yeah. Is Sammy in town, too? He's around. He's around. Somewhere. Say, what gives with the glum air? Did Dukes go off to the only gin mill in Pasadena without you? Yeah, I had this crazy dream about him. Or at least he was in it. Dukes, uh... Dugs. Dugs. Yeah, Dugs. Seriously. What's going on here? It's Dugs, Orville. Dugs is dead. What? And now, the conclusion. You heard me. Dugs is dead. When did this happen? Last night. They took him off the train somewhere outside of Flagstaff. Got him in Oklahoma. Got off in Arizona. How... Who knows? We were having a merry old time, really into the spirit of things. A couple of bottles in. And Dukes goes wandering off. Next thing I know, cops and railway guys are everywhere in the car, flashing flashlights and scraping around. Then I see him carry out the body all shrouded up. It was Dukes. Yeah, I think he could have figured that out. The next question is why, Orville? Sorry? You've already got the who and asked about the what, when, where, and how. All that's left is the why. There's no answer in that. I'm just surprised you two aren't a little heavier into the sauce by now. You know, in honor and all. Maybe we should try to find something? Nah. It just doesn't feel right. Are you kidding? It's exactly what he'd figure you for, and what he'd want you to do. Maybe so, but he was made of heartier stuff, I guess. Cheers to that. And to Dukes. To, to Dukes. I felt as though I'd literally crashed, plummeting to earth from the atmospheric heights of Lee's airplane. Sure, Ernie Dukes Dougal lived the high life at the middling level of society, a lifestyle not exactly suited to longevity. But he gave the air that if any human were immortal, it would be this rumple-suited, innocuous-looking guy enamored with vice. To be fair, maybe it's just because a world without Dugs is unimaginable. Also unimaginable, the weather here in Pasadena. It can't be less than 50 degrees outside right now, and it was a good 70 degrees when we landed. Landed. Just five hours ago, I was flying. In the air. Wow, my mind is everywhere. And with no nightcap readily available, I can't believe I forgot my flask, I was going to have to find an alternate method of focus. 
At least I remembered my pad. Nineteen twenty-four, the year in sports. Year nineteen twenty-four erased the last remaining doubt that American sport currently enjoys a golden age for the physical arts in our culture. Like the calendar itself, the year in sports began on January first. In the Rose Bowl, a game that has rapidly become one of college football's grand traditions, the Washington Huskies met the Navy Midshipmen, rumored to have been handpicked by Washington Athletics. The field of play began as a mud bowl that took off. At some point, our boy Orville nipped off to sleep. Can't blame him for that. Another year in retrospective column would send anyone to slumberland in our age. As for me, my name is Ernie Dougal. But please, call me Dukes. Everyone calls me Dukes. Well, almost everyone. Yeah, I'm the one that all the talk has been about. You know, reports of my death have been greatly expounded upon. Now, make no mistake, I have kicked the bucket. Bought the farm, shuffled off the mortal coil, etc., etc., and in a word, dead. But being dead never stopped anyone from having a little fun. Oh, oh, Damn, this guy sleeps like a corpse. But this will get him up. in the morning. An icicle must have gotten into the works. Now that's a peculiar thing to say. Well, not at all. You're just getting into the spirit, so to speak. Mr. Dougal, what are you doing here? Wait, what are you doing alive? Answering in order of question. First, it's Dukes. Call me Dukes. Second, all, all will be revealed in due course. Finally, you think I'm still alive? Look at this aura. Uh, look at this ghostly pallor. You say what you want about me, but you can't claim I didn't have color. Seriously, Mr. Dougal, how am I supposed to take this seriously? It's dudes. Have some respect for the dead. This is clearly a dream. A dream induced by indigestion. An undigested bit of beef, a blot of mustard, a crumb of cheese, a fragment of underdone potato. Wait a minute. I haven't eaten in 30 hours. Are we going to discuss your dietary regime, or can we go on to more interesting matters? I don't suppose I have any choice. Well, not if you're clever. How often do you get the chance to have information from the afterlife imparted from the source? Or experience such a lucid hallucination. Well, if you like. Uh, here's the way it works. By my understanding, I'll be your ethereal guide through three ghostly visions. One each from past, present, and future. And I'll learn the error of my ways? That's Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol. Yeah, well, Dickens wrote the thing, and, and Harold decided that they liked the idea of spooking people straight. Hold up. Harold? Who is Harold? Oh, come on, Orville. You're Irish. Surely you've been to Sunday school. Surely you've heard of the Creator. You're telling me that God's name is Harold? Well, that's what they call him, or... Or, well, it's not so much calling him as eliciting his presence through inference. Uh, or rather, oh, geez, it's difficult describing existence on another plane with this vocabulary. Herald. Well, why not? Uh, come on, haven't you heard Hark the Herald Angels Sing? Sure. All right, then answer me this. Who exactly is Herald? And why are his angels singing? I, uh... Okay. Okay, if this is a Christmas carol, Redux, why are you five days late? Six. Why are you six days late, then? And what about the ghosts of Christmas past, Christmas present, and Christmas future? Well, we're on a budget here, and besides, you're no Ebenezer Scrooge. Right. He's fictional. Everything is relative. This is literally unbelievable. Well, how can you, of all people, possibly say that? 
You were flying a mile up in the air just yesterday. You, who a couple of months ago, as a sports writer, had the ear of the President of the United States. I was there. I have all the wisdom of the sentient deceased, and I still have trouble believing that one. This is one crazy dream. Maybe you should have eaten. In any case, steal yourself. Get ready, set, and... And voila! Football passed. November, 1890. None other than your alma mater, the University of Pennsylvania Quakers, against the mighty Princeton University Tigers, the dominant team in college football since its organization. 1890 is a key year for college football, and not only did the game avoid the establishment of an alternative association headed by Harvard and Yale, but strategy took what was then considered a step forward. I'm sure you recall the words of your pal Park Davis. The season of 1890 brought a remarkable development in the tactics of play. The plan of sending a man through the line in advance of the runner became general. The most memorable of all, however, was the invention by Yale of the most perfect system of interference in end running the game has ever known. The ingeniousness of the Blues method lay in the employment of a heavy lineman to lead the interference, who sprang from his position in the line at the snap of the ball. Well, nice sentiment, but I hardly think young Park is finding Princeton's interference play any easier to face. The team fought as an exemplar of Dimly style. Princeton was denied their scientific game. The Quakers, perhaps in knowing desperation against one of our nation's finest outfits, reduced the proceedings to an orgy of violent mugging early. Sportsmanship ceded to self-defense. Ball carrying gave way to ball. No, scratch that. Uh, gave way to backbreaking. Getting the worst of it all was sophomore Park Davis at right end. Time and again would camp or church camp around the left side, preceded by Watkins tasked with flattening the unfortunate Davis to clear a path. Just you try and run that again, Watkins. You got more mouth than brains, Princeton. We've been running straight through you all game. I still see a zero on the board, though. Ask and you shall receive. By game's end, Davis was nearly unrecognizable. Now sporting several lumps on the noggin, bruises covering his empurpled face. Wait a minute. Is that... Frank? Well, believe it or not, he was once young and on the beat. Several beats, actually. After all, reportage of sports events was hardly commonplace back in the gay 90s. And sports reporters, well, you know, no such animal. I'm sure you know what's best for news reportage, but I'm afraid I just don't see the appeal of this game. Ah, but you're missing the brains for the bra and the mind for the muscle. Like many human endeavors, I'm sure the game of football is probably quite complicated upon further inspection. With just over a quarter play, halfback Billy Spicer finally broke through for Pater, the game's first, and as it turned out, only touchdown! But to me, it resembles little more than a lot of partially coordinated shoving about. She's actually not far wrong. Never mind the forward pass. Without the eye formation or any threat of a reverse, football is a much simpler game. There you go, a bona fide revelation, courtesy of the grace of Harold. And here's another one. It's December. No November. November. And I'm out here in Philadelphia wearing underclothes. Here he is, instantly crossing the country to a time ten years before he's born, and he's worried about his bloomers. If it's the shame you're worried about, well, don't worry, nobody can see you. Chalk it up to your temporary non-corporal reality. And here's a tip. When you're on the road, always make room in your bag for some pajamas. Nothing beats donning one's own gym jams at bedtime. Unless you're already covered in some lithe little cupid doll and with the knowledge beyond her years. And why must football be played in this dreary weather? If these young men want to throw themselves at one another in the name of a sport, it's all well and good. But why must the spectators have to sit around in this rawness? 
So why did you come out today? Don't play coy with me. You know I can't resist seeing my charming Dutchman. Maybe they should play inside. Absolutely. And they can play on ice with skates. That's a great idea. And we could call it a, a maybe... What do you think of uh, hockey? Terrible name. I think Iceball would be better. <laughs> now, the appeal of baseball is obvious. Sneaking away from the city in the middle of spring or summer to enjoy the sun and a nice, leisurely, balletic game. That's my idea of a spectator sport. You can have the rest, more or less. Well, we'll just have to hope our children have your inclination to baseball then. I should rather suppose that our children... Our children? Francis Frederick Delft, are you trying to tell me something? Well, not so much telling as proposing. Oh, Frank. I was going to wait until Christmas or, or maybe New Year's Eve, but who knows when I'm coming up to Philly again. So... Will you marry me, Dottie? And will you come to live in my new place? Or or rather my old place? Or or rather my old workplace? Above my old workplace? Will's moving out and says, We, we can move in there. Uh, plenty of space. And I've been thinking you could give up the seamstress thing and come do some work for us at the Guardian. You're smart. You'll pick it up in no time. And uh, Plus, we can reduce uh, the budget a bit. It'll be great for us. And the paper, don't you think? Yes, Frank. Yes, you delightful babbling man. Uh, yes to what? To all of it, you sticky. Now kiss me. Geez, you'd think they'd be worried their tongues would stick together in this cold. Plus, they're missing the final play. With Spicer's touchdown and a hard-nosed defense to close out the final quarter, the Princeton Tigers had fended off the finest challenge to their supremacy this season to date by a score of 6 to 0. What the hell? Crazy dream. Ah, uh, the double talking doesn't really help matters. Harold helps those who help themselves, my friend. The warped aphorisms aren't great either. So what was that all for, anyway? This view of Frank's marriage proposal, is that supposed to be some backhanded hint? From you, of all people? I'd like to tell you that death gives one a new perspective on life, but it just ain't necessarily so. I only brought you back because I thought you might find seeing some 30-year-old football as it actually was, stripped of sentimentality. You were certainly never one for sentimentality. Well, not most of the time, certainly. You should rise up and enjoy the ride, Orville. For good or bad, the 90s are gone and nobody ever gets to look back. Well, almost nobody. Because that's clearly impossible, right? I used to think so. Well, here's something else that seems impossible. The Princeton Tigers outscored their eight college opponents by a score of 406 to 26 before getting smoked by Yale in the final game, 32 to nothing. And the same team that scraped by the Penn State Quakers, 6 to nothing, torched Virginia 115 to zero earlier in the year. Yes, but Princeton, Virginia is said to have begun the craze for the game in the entire South. Wait a second. The ends justify the means. Is that what you're trying to show me? Or maybe everything happens for a reason? That's it, right, Mr. Dougal? Look, kid. A bunch of Rebs wanting to catch their backward selves up to the damn Yankees is not exactly newsworthy, Tom. Not even sports newsworthy. I know I should be impressed at the progress and all, but my daddy fought in the Civil War and I found civility difficult around certain folks. Let's just hope the big guy doesn't hold it against me too much. You know, I need to look at the old man, uh, up, well, not so much look as sense, and not so much up as in the non-directional state. Let's not start that up again. You're right. On to the present, or the near present. 
Wait, let me get a bath, bro. November 1924, the National Football League, Frankfurt Yellow Jackets at Cleveland Bulldogs. I remember the game. I didn't go to Cleveland, but I read it off the wire. Headline, Cleveland Bulldogs undefeated no more, drop game to Yellow Jackets 12-7. The kicking of Jim Welch combined with the nifty running of Penn State graduate Charlie Way led the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets to a 12-7 victory over the heretofore undefeated Cleveland Bulldogs in pro league football. I'm not even sure if this made our pages. Well, it didn't. It hardly made any newspaper anywhere. And somewhere in the area of 3,000 attended the game between two of the top teams in the so-called National Football League. For the Philadelphians, defense was the hero in allowing just four first downs in the first half, while the Yellow Jackets' own running game did just enough to advance on every possession. Welch neatly capped each of the first two quarters with a three-point try. The second, a mammoth blast of 40 yards to make the score 6 nothing in favor of the Yellow Jackets going into the half. Just look at the defending. So much superior to the college game, and nearly nobody knows it. Well, 3,000 people do. What they're drawing at Penn State games these days, huh? 50,000, plus national press coverage. Come on. And by the way, aren't you embarrassed to be unseen like that? Why didn't you take the hotel bathrobe? They got some great bathrobes there. Dukes, what are we even doing here? And what happened to football present? Metaphysics isn't exactly a science order. Besides, I had to fudge. It's December. You're a sports reporter. We know what it's like. From November to February nowadays, we've got the Rose Bowl, maybe a prize fight or two at Madison Square Garden, and that's it. What am I supposed to do? Report on hot stove rumors? Cover barnstorming baseball in Mississippi? No, thank you. There's a reason I spend winters in California. Frankfurt tallied its final score in the third quarter when the Bulldogs' offensive line gave way for Way, who scampered 48 yards before getting brought down at the Cleveland four-yard line. Two plays later, Big Tex Hamer punched through for the touchdown, soon making the score a nearly insurmountable 12-0 in favor of Frankfurt. Insurmountable 12-0. Let me tell you, football in the future is definitely an improvement on this kind of endless trench warfare. Always look forward to tomorrow. Is that what you're trying to say? Funny, I never took you for an optimist, Mr. Duda. I have to do this even when I'm dead? It's dudes! Call me dudes! Okay, okay. But let's get back to the higher truths. Being hopeful for the future, is that the secret? Or maybe it's that there's no use for sentimentality in sports reporting? Hold that thought. I want to check in on something. Good afternoon. Well, hello, handsome. Uh, hello. H Happy New Year. Yes, I I'm sure it will be. Take me down a telegram, won't you, sugar? Uh, yeah, sure thing, ma'am. Don't you have to write it down? Right, right. Just hang on. There were some here. Uh, There it is, and... Pencil, pencil, pencil. Got it. Okay, ready, ma'am. Recipient? T uh, hang on. Is that a telephone? Yes, it is. Well, then, I have a splendid idea. Why not save a girl a little money and let me, um... Oh, I I'm sorry. The telephone is for te telegram office personnel only. Well, I I could get a little more personnel. I, I see. But, but I can't just let anybody come here and use the phone. But baby, I'm not just anybody, am I? All right, but only for one minute. I won't need half that. Hello, operator. Pasadena, 4098, please. I hope you're not getting into trouble there. What will you do if I am? Put the screws on me? Maybe I'll just... Hold your horses there, Tom Mix. The Pilgrim. Okay, I, I need four. No, five Mexicans. Plus a couple of Englishmen and uh, three bushels of corn. Oh, and uh, one sugar cube. To the ditch. Two, one, one. Yeah, I'm good for it. It's just I'm a few more hours out of town and I need a spot. Yes, this is she. Ha! We'll see. If he says that I do it again. <laughs> so is it set? Great. 
You forgot the partridge in a pear tree. Sorry? You know, the song. You sounded like the song. Five Mexicans, four Englishmen, da 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 da. And a partridge in a pear tree. Get it? You work on that material and you might make something of yourself, doll. Besides, Christmas is over for you too. But thanks for the help. See you the next time I pass through. Probably. But, but, but. Ah, what the hell? Again? All right, Dukes, I know you're here. This is just another part of whatever this is. So come on out, Dukes, or recorporate yourself or whatever. Dukes? Listen to me, talking to a dead man from a dream. Well, five o'clock. May as well just stay up at this point. Sorry. Ah! I should have been here before the chiming of five, but I couldn't help taking a little jaunt through the place. I might have retired here. Retire to this hotel? Ah, to Pasadena. The landscape is gorgeous, the weather is the closest to perfect in the USA, and there's lots of people out here. Ah, you know, or knew, people everywhere. True words, my friend. Lucky beer, premium beer, lucky premium beer. Oh, what is that? That my soon-to-be-blown-away friend is called a television set. A TV set, for short. This device is the future of spectator spinning. I'll bet. How does it work? I don't see any projector. Rest assured, you do not have the time for me to detail technical schematics. In short, the principle is similar to that of radio, an advancement of In a bit over two and a half years, an inventor named Philo Farnsworth will create and successfully operate his image dissector camera tube. This device allows for light-based transmission and was the basis for the TV set. By 1932, the TV set was into mass production, though was not anywhere near a household necessity like radio and was unaffordable for most folks anyway. By this time, however, television is boss, especially in the sports world. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome to this broadcast of the 1958 NFL Championship game from Yankee Stadium in New York City. This is Fred Carson reporting live. Fred Carson. And onto the field comes the Western Division champion, Baltimore Colts, led onto the field as well as on the field by their marvelous quarterback, Johnny Unitas, the Cinderella kid from Pittsburgh. Say, there must be something wrong with this thing. These Baltimore Colts look huge. They're like Mary Shelley monsters. Well, some of it is the pads and the helmet, but the bodily dimensions are more or less correctly represented on the TV. What is with the helmet anyway? Well, people may or may not be bigger in the future, but they're always more clever. One truism you only learn on this side of the veil is this. Every generation is smarter than the one before. And now emerging from the tunnel come the hometown Eastern Division champion, New York Giants, who ended the regular season with a 9-3 record, identical to that of the Colts. Halfback Frank Gifford will be the man to watch on New York as he runs the sure-to-be-superb game plan drawn up by the offensive coordinator, Vince Lombardi. Well, as they say in the future, wrap yourself in, we're going for a ride. The Giants will be taking the opening kickoff, and they'll be playing north to south. Ratchet Char lines up for the kickoff, and it sails deep into the end zone. Maynard catches it, and he'll take the touchback. Jeez, is all pro football in the future played on dirt? Not for much longer. This is the game that places love of professional football right next to baseball in the hearts of Americans. Here's Unitas on the quarterback draw. Gets a yard. Oh, he's hit by Huff, and it's a fumble! And the first break of the game is New York's! Now Heinrich under center for the Giants again. He takes the snap. He's hit by Marchetti, and now Heinrich loses the ball! Marchetti covers it up, and just like that, the ball goes back to the Colts. Baltimore has put together a few games now, and uh, once more at first and ten. Unitas drops back, throws, 
Intercepted by Crow! Lyndon Crow has himself an interception and for the third time in three minutes of play. Possession foot based on a turnover. What is this madness? No wonder the Colts can't hold on to the ball throwing on first and ten like that. Webster flanked out to the right, but the pitch is too Gifford. He's at the 35, the 40. Dodges another tackle and he's at the 50. The Baltimore 45. Spins to the 35 and he's brought down at about the 31. A 38-yard run for Gifford. See? Nothing wrong with a good strong side run. Nothing, nothing wrong with mixing it up either. You'll see. And here's the place kicker, Pat Summerall. Straight on from the 36 up and good. And the first quarter ends with a score of New York Giants 3, Baltimore Colts 0. Aside from the single field goal, the Giants offense has done next to nothing except depend on punting to win a game of field possession for them. And so the Colts start this drive on their own 15-yard line. Unitas takes the snap, he steps back and uncorks a long one, and it's Lenny Moore with the catch. He's passed pro to the 40, the 30, and finally brought down at the 25 for a gain of 60 yards. Colts up 7-3, and knowing this offense, you've got to think this mentality is touched down or bust right now. United with the ball, once again gets a tremendous protection from the line, dips it down into the end zone for Barry! Ray Barry with a touchdown to make it 14-3 in favor of the visitor. So, how are you liking the forward pass on the first down now? I could get used to it. Just tell me this Johnny Unitas isn't the standard. Oh no, he's well ahead of his time. Not unlike us right now. Third down from the Giants' own 12-yard line. Connolly has been a steady hand at quarterback since coming in during the first quarter. He fakes the pitch out. He's throwing! Caught by Rose! And he's out in the open to the 50! Silpin hits him and Rose loses the ball! Webster picks it up! One man to beat and he's taken out of bounds at the 1! Oh, what a freakish, bizarre play that was! The particulars may not make the box score, but the end result is Giants ball at the one-yard line. All stacked up at the goal line are both teams. Triplett gets the carry and rams through for the touchdown! Giants close the gap to 14-9. First and 10 for the Giants from the Colts 15. Connolly drops back to pass, throws it to the flat, complete to Gifford! Gifford to the 5, the 4, he scores! It's 16-14, and this game has become all giants in this second half. And the extra point by Summerall makes it 17-14, New York Giants in the lead. United lets it fly, and Barry is smothered by Crow before he can catch it. That will be called defensive pass interference. Defensive pass interference? Defensive pass interference may be called when a defensive player makes intentional contact with an intended receiver to prevent or hinder that receiver from catching a forward pass. Does that get called very often? Would you be surprised how come it Webster picks it up! One man to beat and he's taken out of bounds at the one! Here's the snap. United throws to Dupre on the left and... But Dupre can't get it! Third down and ten. United will pass again. Finds Lenny Moore on the right sideline for the first down. And Moore with another catch. Moore at the 50, still going to the 45 and stopped at midfield. And the field goal by Myrick ties it up again at 17-17 with just seconds left to play. Under normal circumstances, we might be headed for a tie. The league officials informed us before the game that in the event of a tie at the end of regulation, these two teams will play in a sudden death overtime. Sudden death overtime? Well, it kind of speaks for itself, doesn't it? Regular time ends, play resumes with a coin flip, kickoff, first score afterwards. And time runs out on the Giants and on this 60 minutes of NFL championship football. For more action is coming your way right here. Mayfield. Mayfield. Fresh new way to smoke. A fresh new kind of cigarette. Mayfield. 
the smoothest thing that's happened to smoking since the filter. Mayfield, with just enough menthol to smooth out the smoke, but not enough to blur the taste of the good tobaccos. And Mayfield gives you the reassurance of super filtration. There's no better filter on any leading cigarette, menthol or otherwise. Mayfield leaves your mouth clean, fresh, moist. Try Mayfield and discover the smooth satisfaction of this new kind of cigarette. Mayfield, fresh, new way to smoke. Never in the history of professional football has an overtime ever been played. This is history in the making, folks. The Giants win the coin toss. They'll be receiving the ball first. Third down and five. Connolly keeps the ball on the sweep. Goes right at Bracey. In for Marchetti. And Bracey stands him up on one yard short of the first down. And the Giants will have to punt on fourth and one. Over the middle to Barry. Barry lunges forward and they'll mark him down at the eight-yard line. It's third and one to go for the professional football championship. United hands it to Ametti, and he's through! Through for the touchdown, and the Baltimore Colts are the NFL champions! Some football game, huh? Huh, kid? It certainly was, but I still have no clue why we're here. Well... Harold does work in mysterious ways, you know. Maybe it's got something to do with him. Him? You mean me? I mean, you mean older me? I barely even noticed him. Don't I... Doesn't he have to write up the game or something? Well, here's the part where I give you bad news and good news, and bad news and good news, and so on. First things first. Five years from now, the American economy is going to face an economic situation that will make the Panic of 1888 look like a minor case of indigestion. Both speculators and petty investors like your boss are wiped out within a day or two. Business enterprises, large and small across the country, go down. Suffice it to say that Pittsburgh's seventh largest newspaper cannot survive. But at least you and your wife have each other, because at least one income is available to you. Marla and I are married? Are you surprised? Anyhow, the good news is that after a few years of personal and national hoo-ha, jobs become available again. You got work with a wire service and eventually ended up out here in Los Angeles. And Marla? Well, observe your older self. Is that a telephone? Hello? Hello, Orville. Marla! Were you watching the game? Uh, there's nothing else on. Oh, I was on pins and needles throughout. And sudden death overtime. How thrilling! What a game! And what a game for the league. Uh, if the Giants had played reasonable pass defense at any point in the last two minutes, they would have won. Orville, did you bet on New York? The home team getting three and a half? Sure, I took the Giants. How much did you lose? Ah, what does it matter? Whatever you say. Listen, Orville. I'm calling because Jimmy is heading out there. Again? Well, it's not like he's got anything going on here. Jesus, when will that kid figure out what he wants? Twenty-nine years old is hardly a kid, and he is his father's son. What the hell is that supposed to mean? You're the Ivy Leaguer. You figure it out. Hey, I had a good job. We all did until you father-jacked it all away on ridiculous investments, beginning with that car you let him buy by himself on borrowed funds. You're going to blame your apathy on my father? Let me tell you something, mister. Well, say we leave the, uh, happy couple alone. I never could stand spousal bickering. Ah, isn't the desert great? Beautiful. Now what was the point of that? Until someone inevitably What is the point of this whole excursion? To show me how I'm fated to screw up my life? Screw up your life? It's not your fault your future father-in-law can't handle money. It's not your fault that she tried to anchor you to Pittsburgh. All you wanted was to travel. And it's certainly not your fault that when the economy tanked, no one wanted to hire a sports writer from some newspaper they never heard of. So what should I do? 
Quit working for newspapers and get into this TV like Freddy? That's the meaning you extracted, then by all means. The meaning I extracted? What do you need meaning spelled out for? You, a sports writer. A guy who spends his life describing the ultimate in higher meaninglessness. So I should quit writing sports? You're really not getting it. Frankly speaking, you're looking for meaning where there just ain't one. I took you around because I thought you might find it interesting. Sure, I always love the highlight, the good booze, the lovely ladies. You know, if there's one thing I miss about having a body, it's uh, having a body. But that's all about entertainment. The one thing that ever really interested me intellectually was sports. Now, maybe for you, it's different with the college degree, but I dropped out of high school at 15 and ended up working the best, most interesting job a schlub like me ever could have hoped for. To tell the truth, I only got around to reading A Christmas Carol when I was in my 40s. So you must have caught the first edition, then. <laughs> Old man jokes aren't quite as effective on the ageless. So why me? Like you said, I'm no Ebenezer Scrooge. And even if there is no higher meaning here, there must be a reason. Why you? Because I like you, kid. I seen some of me in you. Not a lot, but some. And I thought maybe for some reason you could use the visions. Now, I've got just about enough time to ask you a question of my own. Why did you always insist on calling me Mr. Doodle? Two reasons. First and foremost, to rankle you, of course. But more importantly, I did so out of respect, primarily. Respect? Oh, Wobble, there's many a man and quite a few ladies worthy of greater respect from you than Ernie Dougal. All right, if you say so, Ernie. Dougs, Dougs, call me Dougs! <laughs> I will say this, you certainly got things done, Dougs. I did, didn't I? Let me tell you, there was one time in Chicago when I... Oh, oh there's the pullback. The time to leave this plane of existence, my friend. Stay interesting, Orville, but most importantly, stay interesting. Who is it? Huey! Orville, where have you been? What the hell have you been doing? Uh, sleeping, I think. What's the big deal? Sleeping? For a whole day? What are you talking about? It's 7 a.m. That's 7 p.m. Wow. Listen, you need to get dressed and get out of here. Max is throwing some kind of ersatz Irish wake for Dukes. Okay. But listen, can we get something to eat first? I haven't eaten since before 1890. I tell you, once I started eating, I never wanted to stop. But Huey finally convinced me to save some room for all the booze Max had amassed for the occasion. We headed back up to Max's room, 221. I figured the incredible run of impossibilities I'd sped through this past four or five, however many days, was over. Preemptively figured, as it turns out. Like Alice, I had one or two more impossible things to believe before breakfast tomorrow. I had guessed there'd be maybe eight or nine of us at Maxie's, the usual lot. Instead, 50 or 60 guys were there, spilling out into the hall. All the press box rats were there, of course, but also present were the old breed, those of Dukes' age who'd seen it all already. Two obvious members of some family or another. A couple of guys I found out later were Rose Bowl groundskeeping crew. Hey, is anybody concerned about the hotel fuzz with this much booze around? I doubt it. That guy over there, he's the assistant manager. And next to him is his uncle, the manager. Also joining in at this wakish get-together was none other than... Orville Mulligan! <laughs> My dear old friend, Freddie Carson. 
well lubricated, Freddie Carson, I see. <laughs> you are always very funny. Uh, ever since school, you were the funniest guy in the whole school. Penn! Yes, I remember the school. But in all seriousness, isn't it terrible about dudes? I doubt he has any regrets. Let's hope so. <coughs> he was a good guy, dudes. A very... <coughs> hey, Mr. Goldenthroat, should you be smoking? Won't that affect your performance tomorrow on the TV? Uh, on the what? Uh, on the radio. And you never drink this close to going on the air. Life is too short, buddy. That's what Dukes taught me. And so you, you might as well have some fun. All right. All right. Your attention, please. As your host tonight, I now proclaim this time of eulogization. I apologize. I, I know that this, even this level of formality is a bit too strict for most of you degenerates. <laughs> Non-degenerates company excluded, of course. So I'm calling on someone, anyone, to get things started and saying a, a few, let's say, fair words about our dearly departed. Just as long as it's not me, because <laughs> I got nothing nice to say about the bastard. <laughs> I can start. I'm Orville Mulligan, sports writer, Pittsburgh Guardian. As Mr. Dougal, Dugs, recently told me back in 1958, it's all about being interested and interesting. And oh boy, was this an interesting guy. It went on like that for hours. All of us doing what one does at these things, recall and retell. Some of us joked, some of us told of his legendary prowess for inequity. But all were honest. as hilarious as Dukes was, the man could write. Heck, I memorized his write-up on Game 5 of the 22 series. Quote, The New York Giants of John McGraw are once again champions of our national game. <laughs> all right. Are all of you big mouths done talking now? <laughs> it's like you're all coming off a five-year vow of silence. <laughs> but in all seriousness, I, and this will be the last such moment of this evening, I, I want to take a few moments to remember dudes and all the others who won't be with us next year. Hey, I thought Irish wakes were supposed to be fun. It's like a funeral in here. Jeez, you guys act like you've never seen a female before. Actually, by the looks of things, somebody have Mugs probably haven't. Uh, excuse me, miss, but are you? Uh, the, the name's Mad Roxford, but you can call me Rax, except for which one of you is Mulligan? I'm Orville Mulligan. Of course, the people. They <laughs> call me Rax. You can still call me Miss Roxford. Say. More relevantly to the event at hand, I should inform you that Ernie Dougal was my father. Your Duke's daughter? But how? Well, sometimes when a man and a woman love each other very much, uh, you'll figure it out someday. This apple sure didn't fall far from the tree. So, am I to take it that you're in charge of this shindig, mister? Mackie. Max Mackie. Max Mackie? Well, 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 just the man I wanted to see. This is for you. Well, thanks. It's a notebook. It's his brain. Well, it's all here. Names, phone numbers, passwords. A guy could get into some serious trouble with this. <laughs> with any luck. Hey, Max, let us have a look-see. that. <laughs> <laughs> so what's a girl gotta do to get a drink out of one of you mugs? Allow me. <clears throat> I'm Freddy Carthan of uh, Ultimate <clears throat> Radio Productions. Radio, you say? A toast to Dukes. May his glass stay full and his deadlines stay met wherever he is. Cheers. Cheers.
This has been Orville Mulligan, sports writer, an audio drama podcast from Number 80 Productions and the Sports History Network. Episode script and story by Oz Davis and Darren Hayes. Orville Mulligan, sports writer, stars Doug Fye, Ilana Fye, and Eric Bodwell. This episode co-stars, in order of appearance, John Roberts, Forrest Hartle, Vernon Poitras, Joe Gallegos, Abriana Lavalle, and Sylvia Morvey. Directing by Eric Bodwell. Sound recording and editing by Don McIver. The theme song of Orville Mulligan Sports Writer is Dayton Triangle's Rag and was arranged and performed by Bruce Smith. Additional original music was provided by David Liso of Dynamo Stairs and Shane Ivers of Silverman Sound Studios. Please see the podcast liner notes for the complete soundtrack listing. Orville Mulligan Sports Writer is produced by Darren Hayes and Oz Davis. Series concept by Darren Hayes. Keep your dial locked to this podcast station for the next exciting episode of Orville Mulligan Sports Writer coming soon. Glad rocks is gonna be okay. Yes, family is really the most important thing. Oh, sure, now you tell me. Sorry. Oh, tell me this, Harold, because I've always been curious. What really happened at Sodom and Gomorrah? I don't think anyone wants to hear lies about that story. Most people believe that it was out of the social cities, but it was actually due to soccer match. See, Sodom and Gomorrah were up and down. Zebediah's foul inside.